It's not really the warm up. It's the prep. I assume you're going to do something to kind of get you chili hot. Well, yeah, the pre that's the pre warm up warm up. Ah, the pre warm up warm up. It's this like it's like the, it's like the it's like the chips before the appetizer, the pre apps. Yeah. I mean, it's the drink before the appetizer or it's the drink before we it's the pre party. Yeah, it's the drink the drink before you go. Hey, Power Athlete Nation. If you're interested in increasing your athleticism and developing the best athlete possible with what you're working with, we got a podcast in store for you today. We are going to go over the tips and tricks and really the cheat codes to be successful on one of Power Athlete's flagship programs, Field Strong. The program is dedicated to fostering developing athleticism, unlocking athletic potential, and making you the baddest on-field athlete possible, but you might not be falling field strong. Not to say that these tips and these tricks won't help you in your training to really reap the benefits and the rewards of what you're doing. And they'll key in, whether you're following any Power Athlete program, how to move, how to coach, and how to get the most out of your training. So we do introduce the athleticism model Mm -hmm. in this episode, which all of our training programs aim to follow, but with different sets, reps, and demands. So this is an awesome opportunity to understand the nuts and bolts behind our athlete athleticism and how to get the most out of your training and movement. If you're looking to unlock athletic potential, like we said earlier, Fieldstrong's an excellent place to start. It's a little advanced. We're going to ask you to sprint. We're going to ask you to lift some heavy weights. We're going to be dynamic. We're going to do plyos. We're going to jump. We're going to ask you to train like an athlete because sport requires athleticism. Now, Athleticism exists on a continuum. Not everybody is going to start in the same place based off genetics, geography, and opportunity. But once you get on the ride, following a program like FieldStrong will allow you to progress and become a better version of yourself. So what I want you to do, tune in, buckle up, and prepare to get your mind blown with seven tips and tricks and cheat codes to help you unlock and foster athleticism. Hey, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Power Athlete Radio, where not only we talk about all things Power Athlete, but we also talk about performance, health, fitness, and mainly performance. And we're going to dig in today on FieldStrong, one of our flagship programs, really the first one that started it all. Mm-hmm. Um, I can go back many years when I'm still writing CrossFit football programming and somebody asked me, what is CrossFit football like minus the CrossFit? And I did a blog post on Talk To Me Johnny called Power Athlete Template. Wrote out the template that I was using to train athletes and work with a, a ton of professionals at the time. And the next email I got was, we believe you. How about you just write the program? So uh, FieldStrong was born. We had it between, you know, behind some cheesy paywall on WordPress that Luke hacked together for six pennies and a you know case of Bud Light. And FieldStrong was born. And it was excellent daily program. Uh, was able to really ferret out, ferret out a lot of ideas that I was contemplating on that I couldn't necessarily do just because of the space within cross of football didn't allow for it. And it was pretty amazing experience. And then we transitioned to over to train aerobic. We started adding more programs as it gave us a little bit more, I guess, technological advance and just a lot more ability to deliver multiple programs for our consumers. Mm -hmm. And feel strong, strong, that flagship. I mean, talk about the opportunity to train and develop athleticism within your garage and dominate the field and take your inner athlete to the next level. So this is for field court sport athletes, fighters looking to dominate the leaderboard. And it's based off the techniques 
that contributed to your 10-year NFL career. Yeah. No, it's always been about fostering and developing athleticism. So if you're looking to increase athleticism, be a better athlete and do an athletic form of training. I know there's people on the internet that are claiming that nobody does athletic training. It's not true. We've been doing it. We got it on tap and we've been doing it for years. Uh-huh. And we've been doing it better, I think, than anybody else out there. And this is an intermediate to advanced program. This is based off of once you've established your base level of strength through bedrock, our, our beginner program, our novice athlete program, then they're ready for field strong versus walking into those more advanced techniques. Yeah, everything needs progression. Mm-hmm. And really the first stop on the power athlete bus in terms of training is always going to be bedrock, following a basic linear progression, really maximizing that linear progression, five basic movements, sprinting, a little bit of change of direction, a little bit of plyos, getting you ready to get into more advanced training. Once you come to the end of bedrock, there's a, I always think about like, you know, the road less traveled. I came to a fork, which way do I go? One is increase central nervous system efficiency, work on the CNS, work on getting stronger, uh, more dynamic, more explosive, sprint, run, change of direction. Or we can get a little bit thicker, a little bit bigger, ball something like Jack Street. So this is obviously the fostering, developing athleticism, making for complete athletes. The other side is just getting you big and thick. Yes. And we have that opportunity to deliver the program through Train Heroic, but still many of our garage athletes are following this solo. And the aim of this podcast right now today is to put them in the best position as if a coach is there with them to lead them to the promised land. Because it's not just a matter of following the program. It's how that you move and execute. Yeah. Well, I hate the term hacks. Because anybody that uses the word hack is usually a hack themselves. And um, I don't mean any disrespect from any of our friends that use it. But I don't really like hacks. What I like is, uh, you know, the cheat codes, um, you know, this little bit of information that allows for a more rich experience. That's what I'm searching for. Uh, for Field Strong, the number one is take time with the prep movements. So every program every day has some form of preparatory phase. Uh, it could be, you know, as simple as, you know, just doing some push-ups and some rows. It could be, uh, you know, salt bike, jumping rope. I mean, it could be sprint. It could be everything from uh, dynamic movement prep, you know, with A skips, B skips. Um, you know, could be all over the board and it's kind of written in a way. So a big issue is making sure you're taking time in the prep to understand and master the patterns that we're actually emphasizing for that day. Yeah. And the, the, the prep also described as the quote unquote warm up. That's that opportunity where we take the more complex movements well, in there. It's not really the warm up. It's the prep. I assume you're going to do something to kind of get your chili hot. Well, yeah, the pre that's the pre warm up warm up. Ah, the pre warm up warm up. It's this like it's like the it's like the it's like the chips before the appetizer, the pre apps. Yeah. I mean, it's the drink before the appetizer or it's the drink before we it's the pre party. Yeah, it's yeah. the drink the drink before you go. I like it. The yeah, that's the pre warm up warm up that this prep work specific and essentially we take the the compound movements or whatever the strength the power the speed opportunity that you have in each training day and then chunk it out so we have done this a lot and we know where athletes will fail especially when training on their own whether it's in their trunk or their their posture their patterning their ability to execute and we just make a less complex opportunity to work on where we anticipate you failing when we add the resistance the speed and the compound movements of that day. Yeah. All right. So number one, take time with the prep to master the movement patterns. Number two, compensatory acceleration, AKA cat, which means as we've talked about this ad nauseum, but if you're new to this deal, compensatory acceleration first discussed by Dr. Fred Hatfield, AKA Dr. Squat 
and used extensively in his program in the book Power discusses it in depth. But compensatory acceleration is defined as as mechanical advantage increases, so does speed. Mm-hmm. So I want you to think, uh, let's just use the analogy of the barbell bench. You're going to bring the bar down, right? And then as you bring it off your chest, most people tend to slow out, uh, slow down and come to a nice, safe lockout. What I want you to do is as you come off your chest, as mechanical advantage increases and the bar starts getting light, you start locking it out. I need you to start accelerating the bar and moving the bar faster, whether it be on a, on a bench press, whether it be on a squat, deadlift, whatever it is. As mm-hmm. mechanical advantage increases, so to speak. Yeah, and common practice for the inexperienced athlete or the common exerciser at the gym, once your squat gets easier out of the hole, I'm going to fight the hardest when I'm at my depth or fight the hardest when the bar is closer to my chest on the bench press. But as the weight gets easier, they want to slow down. We're telling you to do the exact opposite. This is your opportunity to bring power speed into the weight room with these barbell exercises and then take advantage of compensatory acceleration. Yeah, well, the, the the carryover from the barbell to plyometric movements. So, I mean, think about jumping, right? So, as mechanical advantage increases and you get to extension, all of a sudden now you naturally do it. Mm-hmm. So, we see it with uh, with med balls, with all the trunk work we do. As mechanical advantage increases, you get into the rotation and you start gaining speed. You have to work on accelerating and throwing the ball and moving as fast as possible. So, we do it naturally. Uh, you know, I mean, I think about football, for example, as you go to sprint, you put your foot in the ground and you go to hit an individual, for example, as you hit him, you accelerate into him. You just don't slow down and hopefully catch him, which I've seen done many times and people get fucked up. But if you work to accelerate and drive through your opponent, actually, you know, thinking about his mechanical advantage increases, I work on accelerating through him. You're going to knock that dude out and you're going to hit him out a lot harder. So it, there's huge carryover for me. As a 14-year-old kid in George Zangus' garage, when he first discussed compensatory acceleration and we started working on it, the carryover that we saw or I saw over the course of my NFL career and the many years before that was um, was very different than other people's. And when I would talk to them about compensatory acceleration, I'd just kind of get like the glassy eye where people like, what are you talking about? Mechanical advantage increases. Think about the punch. As you're here, as I'm going through to into a lockout, I have to begin to accelerate my hands and move them faster than they are here. Mm-hmm. and effectively punching through the individual. Yeah, an amazing plenty of opportunities in plyometrics and jumping is the perfect analogy to help paint the picture of what we're talking about. You never slow down when you're going through for that yep. vertical jump or box jump. You accelerate, and that's the expression we want with the barbell. Uh, I remember, I can't remember who said it, but somebody made the observation once that nobody jumps up on a box slowly. Like you have to be dynamic. Like you have to have a great sense of urgency to get up on something. Sense of urgency. Yeah. That's the key there. So the next one is beware of the limitations or limiting, you know, like the limitation between bilateral versus unilateral. Well, limit, limiting factors as a whole. Yeah. But I mean, what, what we've really seen, and I, I, I watch it because I get forwarded, you know, anywhere from a dozen to 50 videos in a day from people tagging me in their training. It's pretty amazing to see that people are pretty strong and move pretty well with a bilateral movement, like let's just say about barbell back squat. The minute that they uh, transition over into some of the unilateral movements, like lunging or Bulgarian split squats or step-ups, all of a sudden I see huge imbalances that I wouldn't have seen in the bilateral movements. Asymmetries. Mm -hmm. Difference between the right and the left. And they people, you need to essentially feel for these asymmetries. 
So you at somewhere, I mean, sports is naturally asymmetrical, right? Pitching, throwing, all tennis, right-handed. So then this is our opportunity to aim to increase your athleticism by getting equally as strong and coordinated with your opposite side. I remember this happened to me. Um, I tore my ACL. Um, and as I was rehabbing back, all of a sudden my squat was going really well. I was getting real strong. Um, I couldn't lunge. So I could squat 500 pounds, but I couldn't lunge. I couldn't get on one leg. I didn't understand the stability factor. And that was really telling for me and realized that I had some real issues that I needed to work through. Um, you know, we've seen it with, you know, pressing, for example, especially overhead. That's why we tend to do more seated dumbbell pressing mm-hmm. because it allows one for us to take the legs out of it. And then also we can kind of set the back angle with the, with the, uh, the back of the bench. So we're back a little bit, a few clicks. And then as we press, you know, obviously we're doing two dumbbells at once, but in a sense, it's kind of unilateral and that each hand is pushing independent of the other. And just as an aside, if you are first time using our program, Field Strong, and you're logging your weights on a dumbbell press, yes. here's what not to do. If I'm doing, let's just say, I don't know, two 80s, 80 pound dumbbells for my inclined bench press with or the dumbbells. Seated, impl- uh, seated dumbbell incline, or sorry, seated dumbbell press. I will not enter 160 pounds onto the train heroic. And that just seems like I would never think to do that and to see how many people have done it constantly makes. And, and, and I, I know the reason people see some, somebody like horse and like, shit, that guy's throwing up eighties. He must be adding them together. So I'm going to add mine together. Cause who no, can do we're some, doing 80s. No, you're doing eighties. Yeah. I think at one point when I benched pretty consistently over 500, it was like one tens to one twenties for eight to 12 reps, you know, five sixties. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, uh, Zangus's deal was always like uh, somewhere between four and seven sets trying to shoot for 40 to 45 reps uh, at, you know, at peak intensity. So it was usually like four to five sets, you know, anywhere from, you know, seven to, you know, tens. But for the most part, eights were kind of the sweet spot where like five sets, eight, real heavy, you know, don't count your warmups on the majority on almost every single power athlete program. And I, I'm saying it almost, but almost <laughs> every power athlete program. I tend to program just the working sets. For example, let's say you're going into squat and um, it's programmed, you know, three sets of five. I'm assuming that you're giving me three to four or five warm-up sets before we hit the top sets. Um, just because it feels like everybody's different in the warm-up. Like, let's say, for example, you squat 225 and I squat 500. Your warm-ups are going to be different than mine. I'm going to go 135, 225, 315, 405, 455, 500. I might hit eight sets before I necessarily hit my target weight. You go 225, you go 135, 185, you know, 205, 225, and all of a sudden you've done four. Mm-hmm. So it's difficult, you know, based upon individuals to really program how many jump sets they need. Some people need more, some people need less. Like in the mornings, I always ride the assault bike for 10 minutes before I go do any of my mobility work. Uh, other people just come in, fucking, you ever seen a cheetah stretch and just hit the fucking deal. So I think for each individual, it's a little bit different. That's why I just got into programming just the working sets. Mm-hmm. This is you. And then people always hit me, well, what's what's a working set? Uh, if if you in your mind are thinking, oh, I'm still warming up. I got a lot left. That's not a working set. If you get into it and you're like, all right, I might have to like take a second, get a drink of water. Maybe uh, if I'm wearing a belt, put a belt on, maybe change the music. Like all of a sudden you go from like, okay, I'm warming up to this is fucking game time. This is serious. That's the change. And it's usually somewhere over 75, 80%. Yeah. When it feels like work. Yeah. 
many more limiting factors to cover aside from asymmetry. And the big one that people may neglect, this is also in your prep work, is your trunk. Yeah. So it'll be the world's limiting factor is a weak midsection. Um, I saw this for years within the NFL. Guys would get extremely weak within their trunk, start talking about rotation, and now all of a sudden they would load the transfers plane, get hit in a funny deal, and herniate a disc and hurt their back. Um, the ability to stay pretty tight and pretty, you know, uh, you know, keeping task-specific tension to quote and low while you're being able to move takes time and preparation. That's mm-hmm. why we tend to do things for time periods like uh, dead bugs while you're moving for 30 to 60 seconds, side pillars, you know, side pillars of reach, like we're always moving and we're forcing isometric contractions. And so isometric contraction of the trunk, moving the limbs and the body independently of that. So focusing on maintaining that position because that's a position you need to be able to maintain to be healthy and strong. Yes. Especially underneath the barbell and something that can take you down. You're going to fail at that weight, not because your legs weren't strong enough, either your upper back or your trunk failed to help you in that. Yeah. I saw a guy on Instagram the other day claiming that, uh, you know, Everybody that, uh, like, it's funny, like, uh, the truth comes out that, you know, obviously, you know, a ton of high volume extension and flexion of your low back, you know, like uh, doing sit-ups. We saw this within the U.S. Army. Um, you know, we go on to work with the 18th Airborne Corps and a ton of these guys are having back issues. Why? Because the test required a bunch of sit-ups and they practice their sit-ups and doing a ton of dynamic extension and flexion with the sit-up tend to fuck up their backs. Um, you know, we put in a lot of isometric contractions working on stability. All of a sudden, you're like, hey, I don't need you to train for this, you know, but we obviously have to train for the test. And people got healthier. Uh, I saw a guy claiming, oh, you know, uh, isometric contractions are bullshit. You need to be doing this. And I'm like, there's always going to be somebody contrarian, no matter what the biggest issue is. But what we know is pretty concrete is that the trunk is designed to stabilize. Mm-hmm. It's in a constant isometric contraction that allows you to connect the upper body to the lower body to execute tasks like sprinting, running, football, change of direction, sprint, I mean, uh, a barbell back squat. So doing just nothing but extension, uh, you know, excessive extension and flexion like you would within sit-ups is just preparing you to twerk. You know, like when Charles goes down to, you know, uh, whatever EDM show he's going to and he's got to throw out his dance moves. I mean, that's how he gets ready for him. Oh, I believe it. And you said something very key in there. Uh, and you mentioned transverse plane earlier, but also a limitation is people's ability to move through different planes of motion. Yeah. So quickly, planes of motion, it's a, a path for you to travel on. So we have trunk work is the opportunity to introduce and identify where limited planes of motions exist. For example, if we use our dead bug and then we roll over to a side pillar, so I'm still on the ground elbow in the ground, my heels are stacked, my knees are stacked, hips are stacked, shoulders are stacked, and I get a straight line from between my heels all the way through the top of my head, this would be stability within the frontal plane. Sure. So my ability to move the left and the right. So I may get strong and do a shit ton of sit-ups, but as soon as I change my orientation, now my stability within that, my trunk is challenged. We can also challenge this. Imagine I'm still in that side pillar. I take my hand, I raise it overhead, and then reach it underneath my other opposite armpit and try to touch the ground behind me. This is that transverse plane, which means one of my favorites. Rotation. So yeah. our ability to rotate. Anybody that's followed any of our programs has done a side pillar with the reach under. Uh-huh. So then we're challenging frontal plane, transverse plane. So it's not all about everything that I can execute as strong as I can in a squat rack. Our objective recall. 
from earlier in the episode is athleticism. And that's your ability to move through space. Yeah. Uh, the definition of athleticism, the ability to seamlessly and effortlessly combine primal movement patterns through space to accomplish a known or novel task. You can print this. This is our definition of athleticism, which should really make itself into some form of, I don't know, the dictionary. What do you think? Uh, that would be an excellent goal, John. I like it. Uh, I'm all on board on there. And a key factor of the definition of athleticism is combine primal movement patterns. So we talked about planes of motion, that is space, but the primal proficiency is a limitation. Like you mentioned earlier, we had a great squat, but the inability to lunge, that's a well, limitation. Well, that's actually within the you know, definition of athleticism, the ability to seamlessly and effortlessly combine those primal patterns. So X hinging, uh, Y would be stepping, and then you know, Z is going to be actually that stepping up. So we see those three different movement patterns. And what we know in terms of athleticism is your ability to combine those in interesting ways to accomplish known and novel tasks and to make it look easy. And we give you plenty of opportunity within the program to combine the squat and the lunge, combine the lunge and the step up, combine the squat and the step up. But without that opportunity, then you're all left to just get really strong in the weight room and then figure out on your own. No, we help bridge that gap. And what is underestimated as a limiting factor, believe it or not, John, general physical preparedness. I really think it's, I mean, and I blame myself. Um, I think for a long time, I really just paid this lip service and disagreed. I remember years ago, the first seminar we taught at CrossFit Newcastle with Daz and those guys. First first seminar we taught in, in uh, Australia. In Australia. Um, the we did program design and a guy got up and presented a classic nsam uh like nsca type program with a pyramid and we're going to build a big aerobic base and we're going to build upon it and you know coming from the crossfit deal where it was like glycolytic capacity is our god and it'll basically fuel everything all of a sudden the guys who were big on the crossfit glycolytic capacity side wanted to fight these dudes and i had to like literally break this thing up as this thing almost erupted into a riot and I was like, hey, man, like, uh, you know, even though I didn't necessarily believe in what they were talking about, these dudes were big, like 6'4", like 240. And when they took their shirts off, dude, they had muscles I'd never seen. Roth's like, I don't even know what that muscle is that guy has, but I've never seen that one. So there were some extremely gifted athletes and they were big on building that aerobic capacity. The difference was those guys were Aussie rules football where they run a ton and Daz and those cats were, uh, you know, rugby league, rugby union type guys, which was mm -hmm. more akin to, you know, football type power athletes, short, heavy, hard, big, you know, duration. Whereas the Aussie rules dudes were running insane, insane amount of volume. Yeah. So that opportunity, you cannot neglect it. And a good tip, we may not have very specific conditioning workouts in field strong, but if I look at my whole training session, as an opportunity to get the job done. So limit my rest time, push my abilities, keep track of my heart rate and get ready to go. It turns into this general physical preparedness if done right. So mm -hmm. we still have the workouts, but just think of this whole training session as I got to move. Yeah. You got to move through space and you got to continue to move it. I mean, um, you know, obviously with like the strength work, uh, we use a ton of, uh, PAP work, which is post post activation potentiation. We use a bunch of French contrast. So we're always going to ask you to do something heavy and something dynamic. Sometimes there's, you know, two dynamic movements that are focusing on, let's say a hamstring and a jump, but there's a ton of carryover and being able to have the capacity to not only move heavy weights, but then go and do something dynamic and then rest 
and be able to rinse and repeat and give me, you know, anywhere from, you know, three to six, seven incredible efforts. That's building the capacity we need. Um, you know, people are going to talk about aerobic capacity in terms of zone two. And while that zone two stuff is really in that, like, you know, 70 to 75% heart rate, you're going to be working at some different, uh, different levels because obviously when you're banging heavy weights, your heart rate's going to go through the roof and you're transitioning. What we need is we need to have that big aerobic base to allow for recovery in between and that very quick recovery. So the quality of work is high. Yes. And quality of work is the key word here and how to attack these limiting factors consistency, which is our next key factor here. Um, If your training looks very erratic, it's going to be very difficult to follow something like field strong because every day, every week builds upon the previous week. It's usually written in six week cycles, sometimes a little bit longer, never shorter. Um, But there's always going to be, you know, bridges. There's going to be, you know, tying two cycles together that are building upon. Now, if you're brand new and you jump right in, don't feel overwhelmed. Just execute the day and know you'll get caught up pretty quick. But the problem comes down to where, you know, all of a sudden I get four to five, six training week or days for week one and two. And then I get one training week in week three. And then I get two training in week four. All of a sudden you're in week five and things are starting to progress and you just haven't done the work that allows you to be successful. We realize life gets in the way and sometimes you're not able to execute it as well as you want. So we have other programs that are a little more flexible like Grindstone that might be a better pivot. But if you can follow Field Strong with consistency, and maximize your intent and effort, the benefits you're going to reap are just far beyond anything else you're going to find. Yes. And in line with consistency, one thing often overlooked, it's a big part of the program, is sprinting. Yep. Wow. Um, so the other day uh, I was reading um, some just some like interesting like uh, geological observation stuff. And uh, <laughs> there was, I'll just give you an example. They were looking at... Uh, well, like it, like I'm, I'm fascinated with fossils. So we took the kids down to uh, the Houston Museum of Natural Science and we got to see all the fossils. And so um, I clicked on these science alerts because I'm always fascinated by like new species, um, you know, evolution, you know, the, like the aquatic ape, you know, if you buy into the you know psychedelic ape, which is, you know, psilocybin growing our brains, like, you know, humans, you know, having subcutaneous fat opposed from, you know, uh, no other primate having fat. So this aquatic ape theory. So I'm I'm just really into this. And so I've been trying to read as much as I can. Um, The big argument has always been, you know, when did uh, our version of Homo sapiens, like when did we come, when did we come to North America? How long have we been here? And, you know, it's pretty assumed that it was somewhere about 130,000 years, but then they'll find fossils or they'll find certain things that completely blow things out of the water. And they found a set of uh, a whole bunch of footprints. I think it was in Australia of these guys sprinting in a riverbed and uh, their feet were big, like size, you know, 12, 13s. And based upon the spread of their footprints, they were sprinting at like 24, 25, 26 miles an hour. And they were obviously chasing something because they're animal prints, but they did this for like a mile. So they were running as fast as Usain Bolt for extended period of time. And the interesting thing was based upon the, uh, the spacing, they were accelerating as they got faster or as, as they went farther. So, I mean, it's pretty amazing when you think about primal movements and we use the term primal, not like the liver king or, you know, Mark Sisson wearing a loincloth, but primal is in our most basic movements. Sprinting is one of our most basic movements and we do it better. I mean, you know, there, there's things that sprint faster than us, but our ability to cool 
Um, you know, like animals, like dogs, for example, have to pant to cool. Um, you know, our ability to be able to cool ourselves through the skin is really fascinating. And then the way that we're bipedals and set up, we can run for extreme distances. So for, uh, you know, the idea is the way that we hunted was we just ran things consistently followed things until they just ended up collapsing and dying. So, but long story short, uh, when you look at evolution, sprinting and being bipedal, moving on two legs and moving fast is one of the fundamental aspects of homo sapiens. And one thing that we see all too often in our training programs is people sprinting poorly, not because they're genetically, not genetically designed for it, but because they haven't developed the skill of sprinting and they've just taken it out of their lives. So we put a ton of work in and getting you ready to sprint. And then when you do sprint, being able to go out and do it safely and effectively. And if you don't know how to run, there's no, I mean, there's no shame in reaching out to a coach or finding somebody. I mean, we have an incredible t- uh, training tool of using the, the true form. Mm-hmm. I love the true forms. Um, not for the fact that you can run inside, but the fact that we can actually coach sprinting in real time. We also use the mini tramp uh, with a ton of uh, um, actually amazing results. $40 Amazon mini tramp, just teaching somebody how to get high knees and really being able to coach sprint technique and then being able to take them from that mini tramp and then be able to progress them on sprinting. The other one is hill running. We yeah. found that observationally, nobody runs p- uh, poorly uphill. I mean, that was a, a funny one when we were doing a bunch of hill sprints and I'm like, man, these guys actually, everybody runs pretty good. They understand drive and drive, you know, big arm swing, knee up, get a good lean and everybody sprints and they run better uh, with hill sprints and uphill. So um, I think if you're looking to get somebody in shape and teach them sprint, there's obviously a progression, but you have to remember sprinting requires a ton of neurological efficiency and strength because that eccentric load is so damaging. And then also, you know, uh, you know, why is it that people aren't good at sprinting anymore? Is it because they don't sprint, which is what I think it is. Could it be the advent of shoes where now all of a sudden people get into running and heel strikes? There's a ton of, you know, uh, experts out there. Um, I had the opportunity to hear uh, Dr. Lieberman, who's the guy that invented, kind of got the whole barefoot running thing when I was at Ancestral Health Symposium, you know, 10 years ago. And uh, his whole contention was, one, we don't have to sprint for our lives anymore. So when we had to sprint for our lives and sprint for our food to effectively second order feed ourselves to, to live a life, sprinting was extremely important and people were good at it. But as with the advent of cars, grocery stores, protection, whatever it looks like, sprinting did not become as important as it was for our development. But that doesn't mean that there isn't something within our, uh, our evolutionary code that puts us in sprinting. I mean, to this day, I don't know about you, but you're from, what's your favorite Olympic sport? Good question. I the love future lacrosse, John. Uh, I love watching track and field. Uh, I love watching athletes sprint fast and run fast. Um, that to me, whether it's the hurdles, the running, like I love the running events. I love, uh, even watching like, uh, the girls 5,000 meters in the 10 K was awesome because the intensity and the frosty, which those girls ran and were trying to run people into the ground was incredible. So, um, I always loved to sprint. It was by far one of my favorite things to do. Um, and don't get enough chance to do it like we used to, but I sprinted every single day when I was training for the NFL because that's how I made my money. Yes. And you mentioned our next thing, equipment. There is no substitute. Like we are training, understanding you are, we are writing the program, understanding you are training alone in the garage. So this is our opportunity. We wouldn't put a piece of equipment in there unless 
it meant something. It had value to your training solo. So you mentioned the trampoline to help treat, teach the sprint and a, a numerous number of other benefits with that. There is no substitute. It's not high knees on your own. No, that tramp overspeed training. I also, as you mentioned earlier, the medicine ball. Mm-hmm. So whether it's explosive, your ability to, to drive power and release that med ball or reactive, meaning this object is coming back at you and you must reduce and redirect that force. A lot of opportunity within the med ball to develop general physical preparedness and the ability to seamless and effortlessly move an object through space. And last one, which we often use, sandbag. So it's a very heavy, awkward implement. A 135-pound sandbag feels a lot heavier than 135 pounds. Yeah, might as well be 500. Because it's fighting back. So, and it puts you in this awkward position to challenge your ability to seamless and effortlessly move through space. So it's an excellent opportunity and a tool. Other than that, standard barbell box uh, will get you a long way. Dumbbells for the unilateral movement. Um, we're going to need all those with the aim to execute. Uh, if you feel lost and don't have a piece of equipment, hop in the comments on the training feed. But if you say, hey, you don't have a trampoline. We're going to tell you to go invest the $40 to make that happen. Yeah. No, I'm, you know, we have people at commercial gyms mm-hmm. and, um, you know, there's some movements that are a little outside. Like one of the biggest subs we get is the med ball. They don't have an effective place to throw a med ball. Um, you know, we don't necessarily have a good place either. So we've tried to search out a few different options. I think the first one we started with was uh, the plyo steps that attach to the rack. Well, the first was the copper beam. On the outside of the building. Not, well, it's uh, not copper. This, what it's, is it? uh, it, it's red iron. Red it's, iron. Uh, yeah. It, it's I-beam, which our, our, our building is built with. So we go out and throw against that. The only problem was it don't would miss. just, yeah, well, one, don't miss, but it would like shake the building. So we ended up going and putting the plyo steps on, you know, the big Sornex racks. The only problem is our racks aren't bolted down because we want to be able to move them to clean. And uh, they just shake the racks loose. So the latest one we've gone to is we found this thing called the Defender, which is actually uh, like a football pad that's attached to a spring that fits on the rack. I spotted it at Sornex two years ago, emailed the dude, and then completely forgot because I I get a ton of emails a day and I just lost it. And then I went back to Sornex, saw it, and was like, oh, shit. So I emailed the dude immediately. And uh, just was like, hey, man, like here's my phone number. If I I don't email you back, text me. And we had one within a couple of days. And uh, we've been using that. And that is by far one of the best things I've found for the med ball work. And I've been throwing it back in. Yeah. It's an excellent. And the final key here, competition. Yeah. Expression. This this one's underrated. Um, I think you have to be able to do something that forces you to have a deadline to compete in. So you like, you have to be ready. If, uh, if if there's not a fixed deadline, I think we just kind of, you know, lull on our training. I know I do this for myself. Um, you need a fixed time to say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to be ready on this day. And then you have to go out and compete with somebody at a high level to know whether or not the training is maximizing what you're effectively training for. Um, you know, we'll, you know, we'll throw a little love out to our good friend, Ingo B who plays in like, I know he plays in adult volleyball league. Um, but it's hard to find. So I know he mainly plays with 13 and 14 year old girls. Well, how else are you supposed to feel good about yourself? Yeah, you so got to win. But he goes out there and crushes field strong and has been killing these girls. Like as an outside hitter, I know I see him all the time over there. He's over there like, you know, dancing and doing all this, you know, celebrating. And uh, it's pretty impressive to see what he's able to do against those young girls. 
Well, they need to get on field strong. Yeah. That's what I'm hearing. But, uh, you know, I mean, all joking aside, Ingo has been competitive for a number of years and credits field strong as we've had a ton of professional athletes and other athletes and people that have used it in interesting ways. I'm always fascinated to know how people are using their training. Uh, You know, if the only way you're using your training is just to get abs, like, that's cool. Send me that. But show me the interesting ways. I love getting tagged in things where I'm like, oh, shit, like this guy's killing it. And this is how, you know, what he's using for his training to effectively kill it. All right, John. Well, if people have learned about Field Strong and want to get on it, where should they go? The easiest way is there's this little website called powerathletehq.com. And if you go to that website, we have a training tab. Or if you want to get directly there, you can go to powerathletehq slash training, and we'll take you to our various programs. Now, if you want to either jump on the Google box, you can always put Field Strong in, Power Athlete Train Rogue. It'll take you right to that sales page as well. It's very easy to find. We have a seven-day free trial set up. So if you want to jump in and see and get a little taste of what it is for free, I can't say it's always going to be free as now we have the option to maybe take away the free trial. So we might do it periodically, but it's free for now. So if you're listening to this, jump in before maybe we don't make it free. Yes. And don't be afraid to post your videos of your training, whether it's barbell, whether it's sprinting. We are here to provide coaching and feedback for you. Yeah. The easiest way is at John Walborn. You can tag me. You can tag at McQuilkin. And uh, at Power Athlete, if you tag us in your stories, you tag us in your training, it'll pop up and we'll usually always respond. And if you need a little bit of coaching, same way. I know people post videos on the training feed. That's another great way for feedback. But if you want immediate stuff, hit us on social. Uh, It comes right through. I see it on my watch. And also, if you want to get coached up, if you're more of an observational learner, you head to the Power Athlete's YouTube page. We hit Masters of Movement and break down all the movements eventually on the training programs, and then put you in a position to understand the what, the why, the how, and then then it's on you to execute. Yep. So you've heard it here first. You got your tips, you got your tricks, you got your cheat codes, whatever you need to help Field Strong be extremely rewarding and help you reap all the benefits that we have available for you. So if you're looking to unlock and foster and develop athleticism and just make yourself an all-around badass, whether you know it's on the pitch, on the field, on the court, whatever it is, Field Strong is your program. So hit us up if you got any questions. We're always here. And uh, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!